Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you travel around the world, you will note that in different sections of the world, religious observances are different. If you go uh, to the Indian subcontinent in Asia, you'll notice that Hinduism is the majority religion. And it has a particular way to it. It has a particular look to it. It has a particular aspect to it. It has particular forms of devotion. And <clears throat> there are many Hindu temples throughout India, and they have a certain look to them. Also in that part of the world, there is Buddhism. And if you go to Buddhist temples, they also have a particular look to them. And one of the things I found interesting when I was in that part of the world is that the Buddhist temples are sort of plain on the outside. And the Hindu temples have a very decorated outside. There's almost like a mound of gods built on the top of the Hindu temple. But if you go inside the Buddhist temple, the same similar decorations that you see on the outside of the Hindu temples, you'll find on the inside of the Buddhist temples. If you go to the Middle East and you look at the religious structures in the Middle East, uh, which are mostly mosques, you will find that they are devoid of the kind of decorations that are found in India. You don't have pictures of people. You don't have images. You have almost entirely calligraphy <clears throat> as opposed to images. They don't believe that you should make images of things. If you go to Europe <clears throat> and the Christian world, you'll find the Catholic Church, which has statues and paintings, and then you'll go to the Protestant churches, which are devoid of that kind of implementation. They don't have... Um, the statues, and they don't have the paintings. They're much plainer. Until you get to people like the Quakers or the Amish, who are very plain. They are totally devoid of ornamentation. And so it goes around the world. Uh, some people believe you need ornamentation. Some people believe you shouldn't have ornamentation. Some people forbid ornamentation. And of course, everybody fights about it. 
and what is the correct way uh, to do it. Then, if you look at the religious rituals in each of these places, you'll find that the rituals are quite different and um, very intense. There is a uh, large body of information that one needs to learn in order to be able to perform the rituals in an appropriate way. And for some people, ritual is the heart of religion. To them, ritual is the religion, and they become very orthodox in their performance of ritual. They also become very orthodox in the way they dress, and they also assume a very distinct personal behavior. They are bound by rules. So you have the world of orthodox religion, orthodox observance, and orthodox ritual, which exist all over the world in different religions. And you will find almost entirely in the different religions that they all also preach that their form of observance is the form of observance that will save your soul. Their form of observance is the form of observance that will carry you to heaven. Their form of observance is the observance that will lead you to be rewarded in the future. And without that form of observance, you're lost as a soul, uh, you're lost as a being, you're lost as an individual, and there is no salvation for you. But then, within all of these religions, there are also mystics. And the mystics have somehow left the orthodoxy of religious observance and emphasize a direct communion with higher consciousness as the answer to your salvation. A direct communion with that consciousness that is beyond ordinary man and beyond what we encounter as we travel through the world. It's a consciousness that's elevated above ordinary man. It is a consciousness that is higher than what we see in ordinary consciousness in the world. And this consciousness, 
is said by the mystics that it is capable of being expanded so that it ties in to the all-pervading consciousness that created existence and that keeps existence in sustenance. So, through the elevation of your consciousness, you can somehow tie into the eternal consciousness, the all-pervasive consciousness, the elevated consciousness that is truth and that is beyond the mundane nature of the world and exists separate from creation and the elemental forms and exists in the non-elemental eternity, not subject to the destruction that the elemental forms are subject to. The question then comes, how does one reach that level? But before we go there, we should also emphasize that to the ones who are tied into ritualistic form and can't see the non-elemental, can't see the higher consciousness, there's a conflict between that orthodoxy and the higher consciousness. And that conflict has always existed. Uh, in Islam, there is usually a conflict between the orthodox authorities and the Sufis who believe in this higher consciousness and dedicating their life to reaching this higher consciousness. In Judaism, there used to be the conflict between the Orthodox Jews and the Hasidim, who were the mystics, to the point where the mystics were excommunicated by the non-mystics. And so it goes in every well-established uh, religious sect. In uh, England, when the mystical Quakers came along, they were persecuted and eventually left England to start again in America where uh, they established religious freedom. So there was a conflict between those who say that the way to salvation is through ritual and through performance of ritual and those who say salvation is through the change of consciousness to an elevated consciousness. How does one attain this elevated consciousness? How does one grasp the truth that is beyond the mundane, beyond the worldly? How does one see truth when we are constantly looking at elemental forms, and we are told that the truth exists in the non-elemental, and true consciousness exists 
in the non-element? Well, the answer is not that complex. The achievement of what it takes to do is another story. But to be removed from the elemental, you have to become detached from the elemental. And the degree of detachment has to be profound. So, as long as you have needs within the elemental world, as long as you have desires within the elemental world, those needs and those desires will keep you from reaching higher consciousness. They constantly draw you back down into the elemental world. They constantly bring you back to the worldly, to the illusory nature of this existence. So, if you are involved with dealing with the illusory nature of existence, you are in and have become part of the illusory nature of existence and therefore cannot transcend into the higher realms of consciousness. To be transcendent, you must transcend. To become transcendent, you have to give up everything that doesn't transcend. To become higher, you have to give up everything that's connected to the lower. And without this break, transcendence won't occur. So, in some traditions, there comes a time when people give up everything that they own and begin to attempt to live a life of transcendent need, a transcendence without need. So, they get themselves down to a uh, very, very, very modest lifestyle. They no longer involve themselves in worldly activities. They don't deal with money. They don't deal with uh, family. They don't deal with anything other than attempting to transcend consciousness. They become wanderers who go from place to place spreading the truth of this transcendence and of this higher consciousness. This occurs uh, in different religions. Islam has a history of wandering dervishes who go from village to village spreading the truth and not seeking reward. Hinduism has a history of 
wanderers who've given up the world and go from place to place trying to spread the truth. Now, here we are in our own lives having to make decisions as to where it is we want to be in this world and in the world of transcendence. And what is it that we can do in this modern world to transcend the way they did in the ancient world or the way they do in some areas of the world that are not as technologically advanced as we are in America. Um, you can't wander around half-naked in the suburbs of America uh, without probably being arrested. So you have to camouflage yourself. You can look like a businessman, but you can be a mystic. It has to do with the understanding of attachment to that which you deal with. Are you capable of letting things flow through your hands without your hands getting stuck to them? Are you capable of letting things go by your mind without your mind getting stuck to them? Are you capable of looking at things without your eyes getting stuck to them? Are you capable of moving through this world without the magnetism of the illusions within the world gravitating and pulling themselves towards you and becoming part of you? Can you release yourself from the world? Can you be free of the world? Now, in orthodoxy, they will tell you that you become free of the world through religious observance. And this religious observance will keep you protected from the illusory nature of existence. Because religious observance is grounded in higher consciousness and has been relayed to us by higher consciousness as a methodology to escape the nature of illusion and bring us back to the truth. The mystics will tell you that that's all well and good, but religious observance enough, I'm sorry, alone, isn't going to make it for you. There has to be an active effort inside of you that not only are you externally pure, but you are internally pure. So, the outside has to be dignified and pure and appropriate, but also the inside has to be dignified, pure, and appropriate. And how does the inside become pure? Well, in truth, no matter what we appear to be, the only real part of us 
is the inside. So no matter what we look like, no matter what our actions are, the truth of us is internal. The truth of us is how we think and how we feel and what our intention is. So our intention has to be that we relieve ourselves of the world. Our intention has to be that we have no love for the world, but we have a love for this transcendent consciousness, which most people call God, or Allah, or Andavan, or lots of other names. So, where are we inside, and what is our intention? And as our intention is more and more towards transcendence, our being is less and less involved in the world. Those of us who have had the opportunity to watch holy men in this world, men who have in fact transcended, have noticed certain things about them. And what we've noticed is they have very few needs, but really very few needs. When things come their way, they have this serene way of letting them bypass them and go somewhere else. So if money comes into their right hand, it goes out of their hand. If it comes into their being, it leaves their being. They don't stay. They don't become enamored by the world. There was a television show when I was a kid, a child, called The Lone Ranger. And The Lone Ranger used to draw, tra- gallop into towns with his partner, and they used to do good deeds. And before people had a chance to thank them, they would leave. And then somebody did a parody of this. And uh, before he had a chance to leave, they had made him a cake. And the Lone Ranger got used to the cake. And now when he did something in the next town, he was waiting for the cake. And the whole Lone Ranger mystique was done. Because the Lone Ranger was only real if he left. Once he stayed, he got stuck. So, when we do something on someone's behalf, if we have expectations, then we've become attached again to the material world and to the illusory nature of things. As long as we are attached to those things, as long as we have a need, then we cannot transcend. So if I want something from you, I can't transcend. If I need something from you, I can't transcend. If I give because I expect in return, I can't transcend. And if you expect when you give, you can't transcend. You can't transcend because You've kept yourself within the world's 
plan. You've kept yourself within the way the world does things. The world does things in a tit-for-tat fashion. Transcendence just gives. Transcendence lives on behalf of higher consciousness. And what does higher consciousness do? What does God do? He provides. He doesn't take. He provides. And he provides constantly. Can we go about our life providing and not expecting? Have we found a way to go through this existence without becoming attached to the elemental forms in this existence? Or are the elemental forms what make up who we think we are? And this goes all the way to the body that we exist in. Are we arrogant about the way we look? Are we self-conscious about the way we look? Are we constantly primping and trying to make ourselves look better because our appearance is very important to us? Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take care of your appearance. It means that you shouldn't be attached to your appearance. And this is one of the tricky things in all of this. You can have things, but you can't be attached to them. You have to be able to move through the world without regret as things become removed from you. Uh, the story of Job in the Bible is one of the great exemplars of this kind of understanding. Job was the richest man in his area and then everything was taken from him and his response was God giveth and God taketh away all praise is to God he never bent he never became resentful of what was going on he was always in the mode of all praise is due to God. And we need to put ourselves in that mode, no matter what the circumstances we are in. And this is a very difficult thing to do if we measure our success by worldly things. If we measure our success by what we accumulate if we measure our success by what we have, if we measure our, our, our success by achieving what it is we set out to do. You can go to work in this world and you can do what you have to do, but you have to understand that success is not in your hands. It's in Allah's hands. And whether or not things turn out the way you want them to or not is not up to you. It's up to God. And what your responsibility is, is to be satisfied with whatever way 
things turn out. So we need to become satisfied and grateful simultaneously and continuously. So in every step we take, we need to be satisfied. And in every breath we take, we need to be grateful. And in that gratitude, and in that state of satisfaction, you enter a state of peacefulness. And in that state of peacefulness, because that peacefulness is grounded in Allah's transcendence, you become without need. You become satisfied at the position and place and state that you're in. So, the beggar can be transcendent, and the king can be transcendent. Or, the beggar can be tied to his two cents in the way that the king is tied to his entire kingdom. And the king will feel the pain of losing ten cents from his huge storehouse in the same way that the beggar will feel the pain of losing one cent out of his two cents. It depends what your attachment is to the world. So we need to understand what transcendence is and how to get to transcendence. So we have to understand that there is a consciousness that we can't see, that is all-pervasive, that controls everything, and that we can become part of in our own disappearance. So we can't stay in existence as a entity that controls things and at the same time be transparent and part of the higher consciousness. When you meet holy men, what you find in them as their major attributes is love and kindness. They're not imposing anything on you. They're not forcing anything on you. They're bringing you the opportunity to see love and kindness so that you can incorporate it into your own being and set it up as your intention because you see the validity of it when you look at them. You see the nature of it when you look at them. You see the peace in it when you look at them. And you want to become like that. And their great gift is not giving you any material thing, but to give you their consciousness. To give you the ability to see the world the way they see it, because they have transcended, and they allow you into that place of transcendence when you are in their presence, so that you can escape from the chains of the hypnotisms and the magnetisms of the material world. So, we have 
this choice to make in our life on a daily basis. With every breath, we have to say, my intention is to transcend this material world and to take part in consciousness. And I understand that if I choose the material world, I am abandoning consciousness because I can't have both. I can't have the material world and consciousness. So all of my attachments to the material world have to be let go of. And my attitude has to be one of giving as opposed to one of taking. And as I disappear from here, I appear in truth. And this is the path of all the mystics. To disappear from the world and appear in truth. To appear in that state of consciousness that is all pervasive throughout creation. That is the creator. That is the doer of everything. And in this illusory world, we see what we believe are doers. We see leaders of countries. We see armies. We see power as doing when we have to understand that the true doer is only God. And all of these things are figments of the moment that will come and go, that appear and disappear, alter and change. And if we follow them, we are subject to the same things that they're subject to, which is altering, changing, dissipating, and disappearing. But if we can find a way to disappear, not in the world, but in higher consciousness, in transcendent consciousness, then we are beginning to touch eternity and we will find salvation for ourselves. And inshallah, God willing, be able to help those around us find salvation. May it be so for each of us. Amin. Amin. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.